God certainly is letting us enter a time of trial and test. Jesus said these coming years are going to be to the time when it's the greatest tribulation since the world has begun. There has never been a time like it, never will be a time like it again. There'll be the upsets and the weather, upsets in nations, the sea and the waves roaring, and men's hearts failing them for fear, it says there in Luke 21, describing these coming days. And these days are going to be certainly a time when God is going to test us. What is going on? Part of it is because God knew, and it is happening, men are turning further and further away from God. I just have finished choosing a, a cover article about the article that I wrote. I don't always choose my articles at all for the, for the cover, but it's about how we are going to have and are beginning to have right now Satan's alternative universe. He's turning everything upside down. Men can decide to be women, and women can decide to be men. There's kind of a crazy cartoon. Some of you saw it. It was quite hilarious. I don't want to make fun of anyone here, but it was well done. It said, and the way it was pictured, it made it more fun and more interesting. President Kennedy put a man on the moon. President Obama has put a man in the women's restroom. Quite a difference. <laughs> so when you think about it, our society is going down and down and down in so many ways. It's pitiful when you think about it. Things that have been regarded as dumb, junior high school, boyish, foolish, stupid, even 20 or 30 years ago, are now being regarded as normal. A lot of us are acting like junior high school boys. And it gets to be kind of ridiculous after a while. And yet our leaders are under the influence of an unseen power in this world. And that unseen power is affecting many of you, and it's affecting many of you young people more than you realize, because you've grown up in this world. I grew up in this world, but frankly, it was a different world when I grew up in it. Totally different. Your attitudes about the sexes, the attitude about men and women, the attitude about what's right and what's wrong in so many ways was totally different back then than it is today. And the devil's way of life is speeding up. I personally feel that the next two years, let's say between the Passover in general, I'm just talking about a general feeling I have about the Passover of 2016 and the Passover of 2018, let's say this next two years about, may be a major turning point in world events. We have seen even in the last few weeks a terrible speed when this bathroom issues come up where men are going to be entering women's restrooms. We've seen other things begin to go topsy-turvy. We've seen we're on the verge of apparently a great upset in the financial world. We've seen a lot of other things that are about beginning to happen. We've seen how the Chinese are taking more and more territory in the South China Sea and how they put down the Americans. They're buzzing the Americans over there in our air, our, air, our uh, aircraft and our, our uh, ships, and they're, they're showing their contempt for America. And all kinds of things are happening. The North Koreans have claimed they've got a, a bomb and they've tried to get missiles to take that bomb and it didn't work. But the whole world's getting closer and closer to a major catastrophe that is going to affect us more than you realize. So what should we be doing? What's the answer to all of this? Where did it start? How is it going to end? Well, the next part of this very exciting time is described back in Revelation 12. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. 
this part is coming pretty soon too. It's coming up perhaps in the next several years. It talks here in Revelation chapter 12 about how there was a great sign in heaven, verse 1, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a garland of 12 stars, describing ancient Israel. She being with child cried out in labor and gave birth, ancient Israel giving birth to the Messiah. Another sign appeared in heaven, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. The devil, as he's described this way elsewhere, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven. This book directly describes the term stars as representing angels. So Satan evidently drew one-third of the very angels of God, powerful spirit beings, to follow him. And when you read the Bible carefully about the number, it apparently has hundreds of millions of angels followed the devil. He threw them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman, now the true church of God, it was ancient Israel, but now becomes the church, ready to give birth. Of course, that was ancient Israel at that time, to destroy her child as soon as it was born. So he tried to destroy Christ, as you know, when all the little baby boys under age two were to be killed by Herod. Another time, many times he tried to destroy Christ during his earthly ministry. And she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was called up to God into his throne. Christ was resurrected from the dead and called up to God. Then, it skips hundreds of years in this chapter, every now and then, then the woman fled into the wilderness. So during what we call the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages, when the Catholic Church took over, the true Church of God had to flee to a place of safety. Many of them went to northern Italy and Switzerland and hid out in the Italian and French Alps and up in the mountains where they could be protected to some extent from the ravaging Roman armies and the persecution. For she had a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and sixty days. So we know that time was apparently uh, about that long, of course, back during the Dark Ages. And war broke out in heaven. Once again, it skips hundreds of years till the time of the end, your time right now. War broke out in heaven, and Michael and his angels, Michael was a great archangel of God, and his angels fought. So there are spirit beings, brethren, and young people, there is a spirit world. Many people, including young people, try to play with horoscopes. They think about their angels, but they don't think about the true angels and the real demons that are servants of the devil. They don't think about what that means. We in this room right now, and I'm not exaggerating for a fact, I really deeply believe this, we are surrounded by a host of angels. It says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, Hebrews 13, verse 2, Be not forgetful to entertain or neglect entertaining strangers, for thereby many have, have entertained angels. Angels are here and there. There is a spirit world around us, and we're going to have to come to realize that. There is an evil part of that world, and there is a good part of that world. And we better be mighty well sure that we are in touch and being led by the power of God, the true part of that world, the world that's right. So we've got to be sure of that, because there are other invisible powers around that will influence you, hurt you, bring you down, cause you great discouragements, confusion in every way they can. They try to discourage, bring discouragement, confusion, and discouragement, and division, and death. 
that's what the Satan does. He's like that. So the devil was cast down who deceives the whole world, uh, verse 9. The Bible makes that very plain. The whole world out there deceived. This entire society is under the influence of this great fallen being. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And then a loud voice comes. Now salvation, strength, and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren. What is one of the characteristics of Satan? He accuses our brethren. He will come and accuse your brother to you. He will try to cause division in God's church. And we find that often, even in recent months, I've talked to some of our brethren and some of our ministers about it. The people aren't getting upset at wrong doctrines. They know we don't have wrong doctrines. Once in a while someone gets all upset about some little picky point that they shouldn't do upset, but they get upset at each other. Satan stirs them up against another brother in the church over something that is nothing. Often it's like nothing, but they get stirred up. They want to argue. They want to fight. They get, we say, they get their feelings hurt over what? Over nothing. Who's doing that? Often Satan is stirring this up, and you need to realize that. Satan will try to divide and conquer. That's the way he works. Divide and conquer. He is the accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God night and day. He's been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the heavens, to the earth and the sea. It's going to be an awful time just ahead of us. And if some of our brethren die before that time, if I do or some of our older brethren, we may be escaping something terrible. I don't have any death wish, but I don't fear death. But for those of you who live on, you younger people, you're going to have to realize you had better be in touch with God. You had better be in touch with God on a daily basis and be sure that God is your father, that God is your strength, that you're worshiping the true God in every way and serving him. Therefore rejoice in you who dwell in them, woe to the heavens of the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has but a short time. So at that time, the devil is going to come down, and the Bible goes on to indicate how the woman is given a place to, to run to, a time of terrible persecution on the true church of God. Where do you stand? How close are you to God? Will you give up and quit? What will it make you to turn aside? What will cause you to turn aside? Think about that. Try to think about it ahead of time. Have your strategy mapped out ahead of time. Just think in your own mind what is likely to make me turn aside. When I was given the other day by one of our members here a copy of the old brochure of the ordained ministers of the Worldwide Church of God going back into the 1970s. I can't remember the date now, but it was uh, it went way back. I was really not shaken, but it just hurt me as I looked through picture after picture of men who had been our former ministers and how they're gone. They're not just gone to some other Church of God group. Many of them just dropped away. I can name some of them. I won't do that. Some of them I taught. Some of them I heard about. Some of them got their feelings hurt. Some of them got into drinking too much. They got into fornication, into adultery, into lust, into hurt feelings, into vanity. They dropped away not just from the church, but from the ministry. 
They were ministers of Jesus Christ and they dropped away. Why? Satan is powerful. You look at the pictures of the 1966 envoy of the vice presidents. And again, I don't want to name them, but a number of them of the ones who were the vice presidents of the Worldwide Church of God under Mr. Armstrong. And I was there. I was one of them. But most of them dropped away. Why did they drop away? Personal lust, vanity. Vanity had a great deal to do with it. If you don't, if you're not truly humble, you're in danger. He that humbles himself before God shall be exalted. And he that exalts himself will be humbled. You know how Jesus said that? That is said in effect a number of times in the book of Proverbs. He that exalts himself will be humbled. And he that humbles himself will be exalted. When you get to feeling too, too uh, easy going, when you think you've got it made, when you think you're great, you're great guns, you're smart, you're powerful, you're something, that is when you're in danger. You have got to be so humble and so dependent on God that you cry out to God. And I mean learn to cry out in prayer. You don't have to feel bad about it and be sad. But just know that God is there. You need his help for your next breath. You need his help every day of your life. Don't just go floating along. Go through life with zeal for God. Have a passion for God. We read about these people in the ISIS movement, how they have a passion. They really do. They're excited about the wrong thing, but at least they're excited. The early Nazis had a great passion. The early communists had a great passion for what they were doing. What's wrong with us? Sometimes the young people going to a rock music concert, you know, they get all except jumping up and hollering with passion. Our people don't seem to have that passion. We often have kind of a take it easy, we've got it made, lackadaisical attitude. And we're losing our passion. We're getting to some kind of a spiritual malaise where we're just drifting along, drifting along. Don't let that happen to you, brethren, because if you lift along, you're going to be drifting downstream. The current is there. We're in Satan's world, and the current is bringing us down toward the Niagara Falls or something like that. You know that. It's going to go down fast. You've got to swim against the current. You can't afford to just drift along. There is a real Satan. There is a whole world of spirit beings out there ready to pull you down. And you need to be aware of that. On the other hand, you have a whole world of God the Father, Jesus Christ our Savior, our living head, our merciful high priest, and his whole army of angels, twice as large as Satan's. Satan just got one-third, and God's army is more powerful. But you've got to be sure that you're tapping into that source. You're walking with God, talking with God, communing with God getting his strength every day of your life or you're going to head downstream over the falls and you'll hit the rocks at the bottom of the falls. It's just that simple and that's what's happening. So Satan the devil is very real and we've got to understand that. So we are surrounded by a whole spirit world out there and we've got to realize he's bringing trouble, great persecution and trials are ahead. Turn back to Genesis. How did it all begin? Let's turn back to Genesis very briefly, brethren. Mr. Herbert Armstrong liked to go right back at the beginning. And that's often a very good thing to do, to just get our bearings, go right back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 3, 
Satan the devil is first introduced in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. He's introduced as a what? A snake. Satan the snake introduced that way. That's the very first picture God gives us of Satan. Now the serpent was more cunning. Satan is very clever. He's very cunning. He's a very brilliant mind that plots always to overthrow. He's clever, but he's cunning, an evil kind of, of intelligence than any beast of the field which God had made. And he said to the woman, and God says the woman is the weaker vessel. That's another deceit of Satan that he's tried to tell us we're all the same. We're not all the same. Women are more sweet. They're more kind. They're often more gentle and loving and serving than men, which is a wonderful thing. But they're made where they can be more responsive. That's one of the key things of femininity, to be responsive, to kind of go along. That's one reason a normal man wants a wife. A wife will be out on his side real quick and follow him. That's why most of the women follow their husbands right out of the church. I used to teach the upper classes in Ambassador College as well as the freshman Bible class. For many years I taught Epistles of Paul. And for the last few years I taught the Doctrines of the Worldwide Church of God, which was the final fourth-year class before the people went out. And I tell the young girls, some of whom were already engaged, already, yes, engaged or already getting interested in getting married, are you going to get married? But remember, you're supposed to be married to Christ. You want to love your husband. You want to honor him. You want to obey him in the Lord. But if your husband leaves the church, would you just automatically follow him like an automaton? Or do you have your mind? Do you have your own mind? Will you obey God no matter what? You women have got to think about that. Don't just automatically follow whatever comes along. So Satan went after the woman because of her responsiveness and her kindness and willingness to agree. I know when I was a young boy in my about grade school and junior high school age, I had a, a, a magazine route to sell magazines. I sold Saturday Evening Post and Ladies Home Journal and the old Liberty magazine. And in those days, they used to let us go through the great big apartment houses where you could just knock on one door after the other and get to people a lot quicker that way. Today, they have that all blocked and they won't let you in there. But then they did. And here I was, a little 10 or 12, 13-year-old boy, knocking in these. If a woman came to the door, I was so glad. Because if a man came to the door, he'd say, I'm sorry, I don't want to bang. I knew that was going to happen. But if a woman came, she'd see this little boy looking up at her, and her heart would go out, and she would buy from me whether she needed or not, often. And that was good. I've had women help me again and again and again. When I was 16 years old, hiking all over Oklahoma and trying to get a job in the harvest, why, you'd go to Enid and you'd go to Tecumseh, you'd go to uh, uh, all these uh, little places all over the state of Texas. My mind's going to blank out now. But all the little towns all over Oklahoma, and I hitchhiked all the way around. They made a circle of the whole state. And I would come up, and they'd come into the town, and there'd be all these rooms for rent. I didn't have any money, particularly very little money, and I was hoping for the best. Room for rent, 50 cents. So I could do that, 50 cents for the night. And I always hoped it would be a middle-aged woman, because if it was someone like that, they would then take me in, and they would take my 50 cents, but they would say I was just a 16-year-old boy, and I would wear my Joplin High School t-shirt or YMCA t-shirt, so they would think I was a good boy, 
<laughs> which I, I was in those days, and they would want to help me. And so for 50 cents, I didn't just get my room. They would say, have you eaten? Well, no, it's okay. Well, you know, you come and sit down with me. And then for breakfast, they give me breakfast. So instead of getting a room, I get free, two free meals beside. And anything else, this woman would want to mother me. They have that something in them. Thank God for that. But Satan takes advantage of that, women. And so Satan took advantage of this woman back here. And he came to her. And he began to reason with her. And sometimes women will begin to reason with a traveling salesman. I know my son Mike, who's been very successful, he said his sales manager has told him, if you meet a man at the door, just go on quickly, try and hope it's a woman. You can make your sale more easily to a woman. The woman will stand there and listen to your spiel. To be polite, he said, God has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden kind of putting a question in her mind. So why would God say that, putting it that way? The woman said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees, but the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it or touch it lest you die. She knew, but she was willing to sit there and listen to Satan's argument. And so Satan said to the woman, you'll not die. How did he start out? He started out indicating that God is a liar. We'll find later where Jesus said Satan is a murderer and he is a liar and the father of lies. His first words were indicating that God the Creator, our Father, is a liar. That's the way he starts out. God's not fair. God's not fair. It's better for you to go ahead and have sex now. Don't wait until you're married. Go have fun now. Go have fun now. Go drink too much now. Go do this and that. Try this drug now. It'll give you a real flair. You need to try it out. See what it's going to feel like. No. Obey God now. And believe God. Don't just believe the Bible. Believe God. Believe what he said that he knows what he's doing. But the woman didn't understand that. You'll not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You'll have this tremendous knowledge. And this unfair God is keeping that from you. Something is being keep, 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 kept from you by God. God's not fair. God's not fair. He started right out with that kind of reasoning. And that's the kind of reasoning most kids have. Their parents often stand in the place of God if they have godly parents and they say, well, don't drink too much, don't commit fornication, don't do this and that. But the kid thinks, well, dad, mother, don't understand. I want to have fun and I want to have it now. So they go around. They don't believe their parents know what they're talking about. But in this case, it was God himself telling. But the woman was willing to believe that argument in a sense that God does not know what he's talking about that God is a liar and God is not fair. God is withholding something good from you. So the whole world has gone that way since. All the descendants of Adam and Eve have bought into that lie. When you look back into it, that's how it all began. We turn back to John chapter 6, if you would, in your New Testament now. Here's the direct words of Jesus Christ, John, if you would, in the New Testament, John chapter 6. And here in John chapter 6, I'll just read the one verse where Jesus said to these religious leaders, the Pharisees, he said in verse 44, John 6, verse 44, you are of your father the devil. Wow! 
If I were to go up to the National Council of Churches and they would invite me to speak, which they won't, <laughs> but what if I said, you are of your father the devil? All of you are teaching people against God's way. You're teaching them to break God's Sabbath, to refuse to keep God's holy days, to believe that you go off to heaven rather than the kingdom of God being on the earth. You're teaching them one lie after the other after the other, a whole pack of lies. That's what he was telling these religious leaders of his day. And the desires of your father you will do. He was a murderer. Here was Christ, very God. Very God who had been with God from eternity. He was the one who God used to create the heavens and the earth. He was the one who said, let there be light and there was light. He knows. He knows. And he said, he was a murderer from the beginning. What does Satan want to do? What does that tell you about Satan and his demons who follow him? He was a murderer from the beginning. From the very beginning, he wants to kill. He wants to destroy. So Satan comes along with a lot of stuff. It sounds interesting, but in the end, it destroys. Satan comes along and he says, you, you don't have love. They'll be taught, telling us this, brethren. You know that. They'll say, you don't have love because you don't want to have these transgender men coming into your women's restrooms. You don't, you're not fair. You're not fair. You don't give them their civil rights. Well, that's not civil right. That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But that's the kind of attitude Satan is imparting. You're not fair. You don't have love. How should we love the transgender? How many transgender people are there? I was reading in the Wall Street Journal just today or yesterday. Three, about three-tenths of one percent. And only about one out of 300 human beings. I doubt if there are that many, but I think they mean Americans. Practically no people like that in China or Russia where they don't even permit people to be homosexuals very much. But maybe three out of 100. I doubt if there are that many. They always exaggerate the number. Practically nobody. How many women are there? Half the human race. So they're taking away the civil rights of half the human race, the, the right of privacy that every decent woman should want to have. They're saying we'll overthrow her right of privacy for these oddballs. But who are these? transgender people. How many are there? What's the answer? There aren't any. There aren't any. Read the words of Dr. Paul McHugh, the chief psychiatrist at Johns Hopkins Hospital. He said that transgenderism is unreal. He said these people are in psychological dysfunctional human beings and they're just, imagine this, it's not real. There's no scientific there's no biological basis for what they're claiming to be. They're normal human beings who got all messed up in some way, and they have these wrong ideas in their head. There aren't any transgender people. God did not create transgender people. God created us male and female, period. But the modern leaders of our society, including our president, many in the Supreme Court, they can't get that through their head. There is a real God. And God did not create us weirdos. God created us male and female. There are no transgenders, scientifically speaking. That's where Dr. McHugh and many other top psychiatrists and doctors and scientists recognize. We need to come out with that. That's ridiculous. Another ridiculous lie that Satan, who is the liar and the father of lies, has palmed off on our society. And even the media are just anxious to jump on that.
Why did the media jump on these things so quickly and try to act like they're true? They keep repeating what's wrong. We need to help these transgender, these poor transgender people, these poor trans, baloney. There are very few that claim to be that in the first place, but in actual fact, there are none of them. How can we help them? We need to send them to a psychiatrist or most of all, when Christ comes, we'll send them to a true minister of God who will give them spiritual counseling and help them realize how there is a real God who made them male or made them female and get them all straightened out. That's what Christ is going to do. He's not going to let them use somebody else's bathroom. He's going to straighten them out so that before long there won't be anyone claiming to be transgender because none of them were made like that in the first place. It's all a lie. Satan's lies. You are of your father the devil, the desires of your father. He was a murderer, does not stand for the truth, because there's no truth in him. No truth. His idea of transgender is a crazy lie palmed off on ridiculous, confused human beings. So it says, when he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own resources, for he, Satan, is a liar, a father of lies. So Satan lies about transgender, he lies about homosexuals, he lies about almost everything there is. He will be after you and get you buy into this. Many of you young people have grown up feeling sorry for the homosexuals. But again, I can say the same thing about the homosexuals. How many actual homosexuals are there? Zero. They're not born that way. God did not make anyone a transgender. God did not make anyone a homosexual, period. God made us male and female, and through God's Spirit and God's help, everyone can get his life straightened out and will get their lives straightened out after Christ comes. It'll be very obvious. They'll look back on this like people today look back on the dark ages. How could people possibly buy into all this stuff? Yet some of our young people in the church, I understand, from some of our ministers have been conditioned because you kids, and you kids that hear this later on the tape, you're taught that you should have love toward these queers. They call themselves queers, so I'll call them queers. Well, you should love them as confused, sick human beings, but they are sick human beings. That doesn't mean you're supposed to love them and hope they stay that way. Hope they quit, they repent of that, they can get their spines straightened out, their emotions get straightened out, and get out of that. Stop it. Get clear out of there. There aren't, it's not real. There aren't anything. God did not create people like that. God says the homosexuals will be put in the lake of fire. Read 1 Corinthians 6, 9. All such people will not be in the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. The sodomites, that's what they are. They won't be in God's kingdom. Did God create anyone who will be absolutely destined to the lake of fire? No! God's fair. He doesn't create people like that. He creates others. But under Satan's influence and Satan's society, people become like that because this idea is foisted off on them. Little boys often don't have a father. And they have, I know the one I got to know the best of anyone. I got, I've counseled quite a number over the years, but the one I got to know the best, I got to know quite well because of circumstances. And he told me with tears in his eyes, he grew up in Tacoma, Washington, up in the North Pacific Northwest. And it was foggy and cold and rainy, and his mother was divorced. He had no father. He had a mother and three older sisters. And his older sisters took care of him when the mother was working, and they played with him. And they would play with him like a little dolly. They would dress him in women's clothing. 
they put him in little girl's clothing and then they would handle him, handle him like you'd, you know, and play with him. It made him feel like he was being handled and used sexually and romantically just as a little child and he turned him off. It twisted his entire emotions. So he couldn't be the aggressor. He could be the one wanting to love a woman and help her and take care of her and be the aggressor. He felt like he was to be different. And he became different and went into homosexual. He told us that with tears in his eyes. We had a faculty member, Big Sandy, who became a homosexual. Again, he didn't have a father. He had a number of problems in his life, he told me about. Everyone I've ever talked to had that kind of a lack of a real father in their lives. And so they became homosexuals. That's not the only reason, but that's a major reason. If they have a genuine father there, these young men normally don't become like that. So if they're not, they're not born that way, they become like that. It's important to understand that. Anyway, Satan is a liar and the father of lies. His whole way of life is based on a series of lies. Back in Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to turn there at this point, Ephesians uh, chapter 2, if you would, in your New Testament. Here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, he's talking to the people at Ephesus. He said, you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. They'd grown up in a pagan religion, a pagan city, in which you once walked. Ephesians 2, verse 2, you once walked according to the course of this world, this society, according to the principles or the prince of the power of the air. The prince of the power of what? Of the air, this earth's atmosphere. What goes through this earth's atmosphere? Radio, television, the internet, Satan bombards, plus even attitudes he imparts, all kinds of wrong concepts, wrong ideas, wrong pictures of everything. He twists it, perverts it, so young people grow up, you know, all these uh, situation comedies on TV. Again, thousands of our young people growing up in the church have been allowed by their parents to watch TV too much. And what do they see? I don't watch it very much. I thought I'm afraid of becoming like that at my age, but I watch it once in a while just to see what's out there. They have all these situation comedies where it pictures a young man and woman going in the apartment together. They're not married. You try to think, well, that's normal. No, that's not normal. My daughter never went in like that. My sons, I hope, didn't. We taught them not to go into a woman's home alone unless someone else is there. But a lot of them don't have parents. They just wander right in, and it shows them they stay all night. They live together. Miss so-and-so and her partner, Mr. So-and-so, different Hollywood stars, they're honored. There's some Hollywood star, and they live to live together in what? In love? No, in lust. In fornication. The great fornicatress Elizabeth Taylor is coming to town, a great star. We should idolize her, right? Very pretty. I got to see her when she was extremely pretty. Mr. Armstrong took a number of us to the Pan Pacific Auditorium over to Hollywood to see these great tennis players play. And there was a, there was a big presentation during the, during the break, during the intermission between the games. And here comes Elizabeth. I was sitting right in the front row, like where some of you are right next to the banister just before you'd, you'd uh, look over as, as someone comes across. So Elizabeth Taylor was called upon to come up to give these presentations. And she came right in front of me. Within about three feet, I could almost reach out and touch her. I, in fact, I almost did. <laughs> she was so pretty. 
But she just came right. Very beautiful young woman. She was just about 17 then because I was about 19 when I saw her. But later, I wouldn't have wanted to be around her at all. She was on her second husband, her third husband, her fourth husband, her fifth husband. Who knows which husband she was living with now. Miss Elizabeth Taylor. Wow. Held up as a great model. No, not a model. A disgrace to confuse young girl who probably did not have a strong father guiding her in the way that she should have lived. So anyway, this is Satan's world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit is an evil spirit being who now works. He's busy. He works for 24 hours a day. He doesn't get tired. Who works in the sense of disobedience. So we have to understand the power we're dealing with. This is Satan's world, and Satan the devil is there. He's working in this earth's atmosphere. He controls this earth's atmosphere. He controls the media, and that's one of the most powerful influences. When I was growing up, it wasn't, because we had radio. It was basically decent, and then we'd hear, you know, about just normal things on the radio, Captain Midnight and something for 15 minutes and the bad guys got beat, but there's nothing unusual in a sense. And we had on the Saturday afternoon matinees that we went to movies only about once a week and we'd see Hopalong Cassidy chasing the Indians and that was about it. Nothing evil, no sex, no weird perverted violence with blood spurting everywhere, no car chases and crashes and airplane, all that. No Hollywood stars that you knew were doing all these horrible things. The whole thing has changed where young people today are pumped and pumped and pumped with the attitude of total violence, illicit sex of every description is okay because it's done all the time. Well, you don't, you're not with it, Mr. Meredith. You don't understand everybody does it. I don't care if everyone does it. Christ didn't do it and I'm not to do it and you're not to do it. We are to obey our creator and we will be happy. Is God against sex? No. He made us male and female. He specifically designed a woman's beautiful body for a man. And he designed the man's body for the woman. He made us for each other. He made the woman to be more receptive and more kind and loving. And he made the man to be the leader and be stronger and be and in those ways. He intended that. He's not against that. One of the first things he, he said, the first command, in fact, if you look back at Genesis to Adam and Eve, was what? Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. That's what he said. Love each other. Have lots of kids. Was God aware of what that man? Of course he was. He created sex. He created it to bring a man and woman together to love each other in marriage and to have children and to bring more potential gods into this world. He's not against that. He simply is against the wrong use of it. But Satan twists it all around. He makes it dirty. God didn't make it dirty. Satan made it dirty in that sense, the way you misuse it and where we treat women sometimes as sex objects rather than beautiful human beings who are to be our help, our companion, our partner. I know Dr. Jamana was telling me the other day they're planning to do something to honor my wife. And when he showed me that, it brought tears to my eyes. I couldn't help it. He can tell you that. But anyway... Because I, she's been dead about two and a half years now. Just the idea just brought tears to my eyes immediately. Because she helped me. She loved me. She put up with me. She took care of me day and night for thirty over 36 years. So I honor her. I honor her. I still love her. It brings tears to my eyes sometimes when I think about missing her. 
But anyway, God allows Satan to mess it all up. Turn to Job at this point, if you would. Here is describing the very real Satan, the devil. Is Satan real? Remember, brethren, what is this book? The Bible is the mind of God in print. This book is telling you about what is real. There is a real spirit world out there. There is God the Father, God the Son, who became Jesus Christ. And there are righteous angels and archangels. And there are fallen angels and archangels. The great archangel or cherub who fell is called Satan the devil now. The enemy, the adversary, and the angels under him are called demons. He took one-third of them with him in that rebellion. There are millions of them out there. They're working on you. They're going to work on your mind to cause confusion, discouragement, division. He's going to try to destroy God's church. If we're the church telling people the truth, he hates that. He will be after us. He wants to destroy that. That's why God tells the brethren in, in Revelation 12, Watch out. Woe to those on earth. The devil is coming down to you having great wrath. So we've got to beware and be sure that we're on God's side, so to speak. But turn back to Job, if you would, chapter 1. Let's turn to, down to the book of Job, brethren. And I'll turn there while I'm talking. Job chapter 1. Most of you know the story, but let's hit a few high spots just to remind ourselves of what God has done and how God has made these spirit beings. There was a man of the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. Think about this one thing. Do you fear God? Do you yourself, each one of you sitting in this room, each one of you hearing me out there later, do you have an awe, an absolute sense of awe of that great God, the creator of heaven and earth, whose face shines like the sun in full strength, whose voice rolls across the earth like rolling thunder if he speaks directly, who's going to shake the earth like a rag doll? He tells you that in Hebrews 13. He says, once more I shake not only the heavens but earth. He knows people are going to have to be shaken and shaken out of their lethargy. And some of you need to be shaken out of your lethargy to get on fire for God, to realize you're at the end of the age. A whole different way of life is coming soon. And all this rotten stuff out there is going to be banished. It won't be around anymore. And you'd better be on God's side. He feared God and shunned evil, stayed away from evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep and all these animals and a great household. He was the greatest of all the people of the East, a very wealthy, in our time, billionaire. More wealthy than Warren Buffett or, or Mr., uh, Mr. Trump or any of them in his own time, probably. Now his sons would go out and feast in their houses each on his appointed day. They each had a special day, and they would have the feast and divide their, ask their family over. And God then guided Job, and he prayed for them so they wouldn't do something evil, I guess, as they were drinking and having fun. Verse 6, there was a man when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. The angels are called the sons of God. They are the sons of God by creation. And Satan came among them. 
And the Lord said to Satan, Where did you come from? And Satan answered, From going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth. And then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright one, one who fears God and shuns evil? Now God knew what he was doing. God undoubtedly understood that this man was very, very dedicated, but he needed to be shaken. God loves you, frankly, brethren, each one of you. He loves me. I've tried to serve God with my whole heart, not perfectly, but tried to for about 60-some years, coming up on 67 years. But I've made thousands of mistakes, and God has shaken me a number of times through many different things, being put down, kicked out, put in exile, had this recent stroke where I have to fight to walk, to keep moving. I have to fight to make myself get dressed every day. My hands shake. I can't button my shirt sometimes. I have to push myself to go. He's allowed that to happen. He's allowed all kinds of things to happen to those of you who are older. He lets things happen to us to make us realize we are flesh. We are flesh. We need God. This life is not where it's at. So God knew that Job was very proud of himself. And he said, my righteousness I maintain. Remember later on, he made two or three speeches like that where it showed he was righteous, but he felt self-righteous, and God knew he had to humble this man in a powerful way. God's going to have to shake some of us harder than others. He was going to have to shake this man in a really strong way to fully get his attention to where Job would realize how weak he is and how much he too needed God. God loved Job. God wanted Job and his family, a spirit being in the very family of God forever over perhaps a whole galaxy later on. If he could put this man over the whole galaxy, but that man went through life being a good man, but saying, I'm pretty good, I made it on my own, my righteousness I maintain, what would he do? What would he do? God knew he might turn away with that attitude, just like Satan the devil. So think about it. God thought the whole thing through. He thought, I've got to really shake Job to the depths of his being. Then I will get his attention and his true humility and his genuine worship forever. And so he did. You see all the things that happened. So Satan said, stretch out your hand and touch all that his hand, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, verse 12, behold, all that he has in your power, only do not lay your hand on his person. So at first, you read how Job's servants came back and all your cows and animals have been destroyed. And then it says, another man came running and all your sons and daughters have been killed. And suddenly a great wind came across the four corners and they killed these young men. And then Job arose, verse 20, after he heard that terrible news, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground, and worshipped. So Job's attitude at first was very, very outstanding. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Then there was a day when the sons of God came before the eternal and Satan came. And then he says, well, God said, you, you see how Job is still a righteous, a blameless man who fears God and holds fast to his integrity, even though you've incited him. So Satan answers, verse 4, skin for skin, 
You could picture Satan answering very cleverly, very cunningly. Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. So then God says, go and, you know, punish him, shake him, hurt him, but spare his life. Don't kill him. So then you see these boils come on Job. Sickness comes on Job. He must have looked awful. His breath smelled awful. His flesh almost fell off his bones. He sat there, a pile of flesh. He was hurting and suffering and quivering in pain. It was awful. And then his friends come to him and say, What's wrong with you? You're a sinner. And Job said, No, I'm not the things that you said. Then he wasn't. And God finally came along and gave him the real answer. But in the meantime, what happened? God allowed a spirit being to bring Job down. God allowed these demons who guided the world events at that time and perhaps the weather and this evil Satan of the devil to punish Job, a spirit world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, turn in your New Testament now to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, brethren, and... Uh, I trust many of you know where I'm going here. He says in verse 3, But even if our gospel is veiled, he tells the Corinthians, if our gospel seems to have got a veil put over it so it's hard to understand, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Interesting, the new King James is more accurate. It's active, perishing. In other words, people are not dead. They're dying, though. They're in the process of dying. Whose minds the God of this world has blinded. Satan has blinded the minds of most of my relatives who are not in the church. Satan has blinded the minds of any of your parents or grandparents or uncles or aunts. Are they all evil people? No, not by nature. Many of them are good people. They're nice people. But they've been allowed to be blinded, blinded for 6,000 years. So they don't get it because it's not God's world. I grew up in the Methodist church as my sister, Mrs. Ames, did. Many of you did. Remember the old song we used to sing over and over in the Methodist Sunday School? And I understand that many in the Presbyterian and Lutheran and others, this is my Father's world. Over and over, this is my Father's world. No, it's not our Father's world. It's Satan's world. And we've got to understand that we are strangers and pilgrims allowed to be here for a few years during this 6,000 years under Satan's sway. And we've got to deeply understand that and look around us and be sure we resist the leader of this world, Satan the devil. For it says, whose minds the God, Satan is the God of this world. It's not the people's fault. They don't get it. God has permitted it. He is the God of this world, Satan the devil. He blinded those who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So God has allowed it to happen. They are blinded. Satan is the God of this world. This is not the Father's world at all. And we have to really understand how important it is we come out of this world. We are not part of all of its clubs. We're not watching all of its television programs. We're not all hooked in with all the stuff of this world because it's Satan's world. We must deeply understand that and stay apart from it. In Daniel chapter 10, brethren, turn now at this point, if you would, to Daniel chapter 10. And here in verse uh, 10, 
Daniel 10 and verse 10. Here was this great man of God, Daniel, who was so dedicated and close to God. And so in Daniel 10 and verse 10, he was under this trial. And it says here, Then suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees in the palms of my hands. So Daniel was shaking, and he said to me, This great spirit being, an angel of God, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, because Daniel was greatly beloved by God, he sought God with his whole being. Understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. So this angel, angels are spirit beings. They are messengers of God. Do not worship them. Worship God. But they are messengers of God. I've been sent to you. While he was still speaking, this word came to me, and I stood trembling. I stood trembling. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand, notice, and to humble yourself. Brethren, when you get down on your knees before the God of heaven and you humble yourself, say, Father, help me, clean me up, scrub me out, really scrub me out from one end to the other, make me like you are. God will hear you. But if you come to God, well, you just have a sleepy time prayer and you think you're just fine, he will probably not hear you. He does not hear that kind of prayer. But when you begin to seek God and humble yourself before God, he said, your words were heard and I have come because of your words. But notice, brethren, God allows Satan to guide the great leaders of this world. They say in many books about Adolf Hitler that often he seemed normal, that every now and then he would go on a, a kind of a, a, an emotional fit of rage and there seemed to be something supernaturally coming from him. They couldn't understand it, a power. Even grown men were shaking, not because he threatened to kill them. There's something about him that scared them to death. He was demon-influenced and at times apparently demon-possessed. And some of these other great leaders of the past, those all great men, like Mao Zedong and like, of course, uh, Joseph Stalin and others like that were guided by Satan the devil, no doubt. Pol Pot, who murdered all these people out in Cambodia, murdered them and butchered them. They were undoubtedly guided by Satan the devil. But he says, I've come because of your word, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia. So there was a archangel or a leading angel set over what is now Iran, the nation of Iran today, or Persia. This, the prince of the kingdom of Persia, withstood me, a spirit being, obviously, 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. Michael's considered one of the chief princes. He was one of the three great archangels, Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. Lucifer, shining star of the dawn, became Satan the devil. But Michael and Gabriel remained faithful. So this other leading angel of God came to help me. And I've been left alone and there with the kings of Persia. So this angel was left alone with these other spirit beings. And Michael had to come and help him. And what was what? A spirit war. I know Dr. Hammer Herman Hay was one of my dearest friends. You younger people don't know of him. You've heard of him. He was considered the guru of the whole work for years. He helped Mr. Armstrong all kinds of technical things about history and certain technical things in the Bible, chronology and all. He was wrong sometimes, 
but he was very smart, and he was very German. His father had become a Nazi during the Second World War, greatly sympathized with Hitler, so he knew all about it. His father taught him to analyze what he read, and when he read the Americans are the greatest athletes, if that was a, it was a subhead, put a question mark after it, because the Americans are not always the greatest athletes. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not, but that's all right. Learn to question everything, and Herman knew that. But Herman also knew that when the drum started beating and the trumpet started playing, the, the Assyrian people, the modern Germans, would get their dander up and they'd begin to want to fight and conquer the world. They've always been like that. They're the ones who started World War I. They're the ones who started World War II. It goes right back to the ancient Assyrian people. Churchill said, the hunt is either at your feet or at your throat. Winston Churchill Many of the older generation, they knew there's certain national characteristics, ethnic characteristics. That's not politically correct to say that anymore, but it happens to be true. This idea of political correctness is wrong, absolutely wrong. It's going to help destroy this nation. Please, you young people, don't go along with that. I don't think most of the older people know better. We, we got along just fine for thousands, hundreds of years of this day without political correctness. But now it's taking over. So he came to me and, and, and left me alone. There were the kings of Persia. Now I've come to help you understand and when what will happen to your people in the latter days. In the, for the vision refers to many days to come. So it was to give Daniel understanding. Then later on, verse 18, Then again the one having the likeness of a man, this angel touched me and strengthened me. So an angel appears always in the masculine. All of God's angels appear in the masculine. They don't appear like little cherubs, little fat babies in diapers. <laughs> they appear like a young man nearly every time and strengthen me. And he said, O son of man, greatly beloved. Daniel really was loved of God because he sought God so hard. Fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. God wants you to be that way and me. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, and you have strengthened me. Then he said, This angel told him, Do you know why I've come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. Again, this angel had to go and fight with another angel. Spirit wars are going on behind the scenes. And as Herman Hayes said, When the people in Germany and the leaders, the next leader who will be the beast and other leaders in Europe, when they finally get uh, get going in a big way, they will not be the kind, reasonable people we see today. Most of them are very normal. But a spirit will come and grab them, and they will have a different spirit. They will have a different spirit, and it will be frightening the things they will come up with and the things that they will do, like Adolf Hitler, Benito Mussolini. So he said, I've got to go and fight with this other spirit. So I must fight with the prince of Persia. And when I've gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. You see, another demon who is over the leaders of Greece. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince, the great archangel Michael. So there is a spirit world and there are spirit wars going on between the nations behind the scenes that God knows about, and often we don't, 
but they're often heavily influenced or even directly led by spirit beings, fallen spirit beings guided by Satan, the devil himself. And you're going to see that happen in Europe within the next 10 or 15 years, undoubtedly, of your life. A different spirit come over the people of Europe. A different spirit come over the Catholics. One of my first girlfriends was named Cecilia Breckel. She was a very pretty little Catholic girl, lived right across the street. So all Catholics are not evil at all. They're just deceived just like we are. Like we were, I mean, those of us who grew up in Protestantism. But they don't mean evil. But eventually their great spiritual leader is going to be led by Satan the devil. You know that. He'll become the great false prophet. And he will bring fire down from heaven. They'll use the power of Satan the devil, the prince of the power of the air. And this air and this earth's atmosphere is going to bring fire down. And things like that will begin to happen that can't be explained. It will be supernatural. Yes, it will be supernatural. But remember, brethren, remember you young people, everything supernatural is not of God. It's above nature, the normal nature, but it may be of Satan, not God, who is the God of this world. So you've got to think, what are the fruits of this? What causes this to happen? Does this outfit preach the truth of God? Does this outfit advocate the law of God? Did Nazi Germany advocate the law of God? Did Benito Mussolini's uh, Italy advocate the laws of God? No, they don't do that. They have a different way. They're beginning to impose their idea. Their national religion becomes national, uh, nationalism becomes a religion after a while. The worship of Nazism. So it was not of God and is not going to be of God. So you have to really think it through. A spirit war is going on and will be going on all over, even more than ever, over the next 10 or 15 years, undoubtedly. Turn with me now back to Second Chronicles 18, if you would. Second Chronicles 18. And I'm going to begin reading here in verse 18. Second Chronicles chapter 18 and verse 18. Then Micaiah said, this prophet of God, therefore hear the word of the Lord. Then Micah, this prophet of God said, I saw the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who will persuade Ahab, king of, of uh, Israel, to go up? that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead, so he was going to be killed. And one spoke in this manner and another in that. Then a spirit came forward, and one stood before the Lord, see a demon, and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said, in what way? So he said, verse 21, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Are all the prophets of the world God's true prophets? No, some of them are lying prophets, and they're led by demons. And the eternal said to him, you shall persuade him also, go, go forth and do so. Thou therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. So God allows that to happen. He allows false prophets to go forth, false teachers, and to confuse the world. And he's going to allow some of God's own people to be confused and turn aside before the end. Back in Matthew 4, most of you know the story, so I won't take time to read it. But Matthew 4, Jesus was led up to be tempted by the devil. 
Read Matthew 4, verses 1 to 4. What did he do? He went aside to the wilderness and fasted. He fasted, ate absolutely nothing for 40 days and 40 nights. And undoubtedly he was praying, meditating, drawing close to God. He fasted and sought God. That was his defense. You read in Daniel chapter 9. Let's go back to the book of Daniel now. The book of Daniel again. This time Daniel 9. And here we find another example of a great servant of God. Not like Christ of course. But a great servant of God. Daniel. And in the first year of Hazarius. The word of the Lord came. About what he was going to do. Uh, in accomplishing 70 years of the desolation of Jerusalem. And so then when Daniel heard that it would be 70 years of this problem, it was about over by that time. Then verse 3, Daniel says, I set my face toward the eternal God to make request by prayer. Prayer means regular prayer, but God says he is blessed if you put your heart in your prayer. Not a sleepy time prayer, put your heart in your prayer. Supplications indicates repeated heartfelt prayer. Supplications with fasting. How many of you fast and pray over and over, pouring out your heart to God? Daniel did that over and over, crying out to God and saying, I prayed to the Lord, made confession, O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. We have not heeded your servants, the prophets. We've turned aside. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us. Cause your face to shine upon us, he went on to say. So we're to turn to God in that way if we want to overcome this wicked world, if we want to overcome these demon spirits that are in charge. We've got to learn to seek God with our whole being. We really do, brethren. Yet we hear from our ministers and many brethren that this church, you right here, and many of you brethren around the world and the church are plagued by a malaise. You're not turning away, but you're not excited anymore. You don't have a sense of excitement about the truth of God, a passion. Maybe some of these prophecies being fulfilled are going to shake you. I hope they will. You only have a few more years. Get it. You've got to learn to seek God while you're still here. You've got to let stirred by God to cry out to God. With all your heart, all your strength, all your mind, he tells us that again and again in his word. When Mr. Armstrong was first being called, if you read his autobiography, he prayed to God. He sought God intensively for six months. He'd get up and go to the Portland Public Library every morning at 8 o'clock or 9, and he'd stay there until it closed or 8 or 9 in the evening. He didn't just say that. I checked up on him, talked to his wife. Talked to his unconverted daughters. He were kind of carnal. They, yet they, they, they did acknowledge my dad was praying and studying and studying and praying continually. He was praying, crying out to God, help me understand, O oh God. That's what started this work. That's why you're here. Because some of the earlier ministers have done that. Crying out to God with their being. And therefore we have this work of God. Or you might not even be here today. We might not be meeting in this hall. So you've got to learn to seek God in that way. Don't just take it for granted, but go to God with all your heart and all your being. And that's so important, not half-heartedly. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6 now. Ephesians chapter 6. And I'm going to begin reading here in uh, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6. 
and I hope all of you are familiar with this as a matter of fact, but some of you are probably not. Ephesians, here Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, Finally, my brethren, verse 10, Be strong, don't be weak, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Not the power of your might, the power of God's might. Put on the whole armor of God, not some of it, all of it, that you may be able to stand. And he says, uh, against the wiles of the devil, Satan's cleverness, his cunning, his tricks, the wiles of the devil, his strategies, his scheming, as it is in the margin. The devil is scheming. How can I destroy Mary Smith? How can I destroy Tom Jones, whatever your name is? How can I get you? What's your weak point? What's your weak point? Satan will come after you. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against wicked rulers of the darkness of this age, against wicked spirits in high places. Wicked spirits. We're fighting demons, brethren. You're in a battle. Are you going to win that battle or not? Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. You can't just do it part way. You're in a battle. You've got to win. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. What is truth? Jesus said, thy word is truth. This book is truth. John 17, verse 17. Thy word is truth. Saturate your mind with this book. Please don't be afraid to go back and read it every day. Read it more than once a day if it's convenient. Read some in the morning. Read some again at night. You don't have to spend all day, but make it a familiar friend. Will you drink into this book and learn to think like this book thinks? Have the mind of God. It's the mind of God in print. It's precious. So put on the whole armor of God, or otherwise you won't make it. Let your waist be girded with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Which way do you go? You're busy in the work of God. You're doing everything you can to help get his message to the world. That keeps you busy, gives you something to do. You have a part to do. Above all, in this kind of a trial, the most important thing is love. But in a battle of this sort, what's the main thing you need right now? Faith. You've got to have faith and courage. Faith and courage. Remember that. Remember Mr. Weston's fine sermon a couple of weeks ago where he talked about the cowards. The first thing God mentioned was cowards will not will be in the kingdom. They will be in the lake of fire. He does not want cowards. He wants people who are strong. He wants people of faith. So take faith in this battle. Put on the armor of faith. The shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Satan sends out fiery darts, poison darts with attitudes, wrong attitudes, to cause division, to cause you to try to judge your brother, to cause upset, to cause great discouragement. Sometimes Satan will just try to discourage you, discourage you. I remember one time Satan did mean that over and over, and I finally prayed and fasted for about two days early on. I had to beg God, and he just lifted it, it never came back. But I could, I could sense after a while that it was from Satan the devil. There was no reason why that should come. Just a wave of wrong attitudes and discouragement coming at me. Seek God, taking the shield of faith, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. 
Praying always. Pray when? Praying always. Mr. Armstrong said time to me, and I, he never heard him say it publicly, but he said, Rod, sometimes when I'm really in trouble or in danger, he said, I pray 30 to 60 times a day. He said, I pray when I get up in the morning. I pray standing in the shower. I pray over the meal. I pray driving to work that God will use me that day all day long. Pray to God. Talk to God. Walk with God. Father in heaven, Lord Jesus, guide me, help me, lead me, fashion me, and mold me, teach me. Praying always with all prayers of supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, ask God for his servants that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. People could have said, God's through with Paul. No, God was not through with Paul. Paul wrote some of his greatest books when he was in prison. God allowed him to be in prison. He's allowed some of you to be sick. He's allowed me to have the handicap. He's allowed some people to be dying. He's allowed other people to be very sickly and weak. He allowed Paul to be in chains and in prison most of the time, the last five years of his ministry. Yet he was one of the most powerful of God in the New Testament. God is God. If we seek God with all of our heart, if we take the whole armor of God, God will be with us. God will fight our battles. He will bring us into his eternal kingdom. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us, as he tells us. But we are in a battle, and we have got to win. Be strong. Be strong, I say. Do not give up. Do not turn aside. Seek God with your heart. If with all your heart you seek him, you shall surely find him. Remember that? Repeated back in Daniel and Deuteronomy chapter 4 and again in Jeremiah chapter 29. As people were in trouble, being brought back from slavery, they're going to say this. And God says this to them and to you. Hopefully we won't have to be saved this after we're being brought back from captivity. If with all your heart, all your being, you seek him. Brethren, one key thing remember from this sermon. Learn to seek God Did you ever really go after God with your whole being? Learn to seek God, to pray, to meditate, think over and over. What can I do better? How can I learn from this? To study God's word, to walk with God all day long, every day, to pray 30 to 60 times a day, to seek God. If with all your heart you seek him, you shall surely find him, and you shall be a conqueror. And you shall be in God's kingdom. You will overcome Satan and his demons. You will win the battle. And you will be in God's kingdom and family, a full son of God, in the kingdom of God, in the family of God, in glory and power and magnificence forever and ever and ever. It's all worth it, but we have our part to do.